0: This episode of Voices in My Head is brought to you by Podbean. With Podbean, you can create professional podcasts in minutes without any programming knowledge. Best of all, everything is mobile ready right from the start. Visit podbean.com/voices to find out more. That's podbean.com/voices. This is Rick Lee James and the music you are hearing is from my new album, Thunder. The title track, Thunder, is a never before released song by the late Rich Mullins. There are also 12 other tracks made up of original music, hymns, and readings to guide the listener on a journey. You can buy Thunder today on clear vinyl and CD or stream it on Spotify, Apple Music, and almost every other music streaming service. Thunder, hear it today at rickleejames.com. Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, a songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is where I discuss music, movies, books, pop culture, theology, and more with friends, colleagues, and sometimes just by myself. Now make sure to let me know what you think of today's episode by leaving me a review on iTunes, or by tweeting at me, at Rick Lee James on Twitter. And please join my mailing list at rickleejames.com, where you can receive an email every time a new episode is released. And by the way, in case you're interested in a daily dose of kindness and encouragement beyond this podcast, I also run the Twitter account at Say, where I post daily quotes from Fred Rogers, one of the voices in my head. Well, I guess that's it for the intro, so sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of Voices in My Head. Welcome back to Voices in My Head. As always, I am your host, Rick Lee James, and I'm very glad that you could be with us for what's going to be a great conversation today. My guest this week is Dr. William Willimon. He is the professor of the practice of Christian ministry and director of the doctor of ministry at Duke Divinity School in Durham, North Carolina. He's an internationally renowned preacher and widely read author noted for his humor, his insight into the Christian faith, and his theological commitment. His many books have sold over a million copies, and his latest book, a memoir, titled Accidental Preacher, releases on July 17th, 2019. In Accidental Preacher, Dr. William Mon recounts memorable moments from his rich and full preaching life with his signature wit and humor. Accidental Preacher portrays the adventure of a life caught up in the purposes of a God who calls unlikely people to engage in a work greater than themselves, Dr. Willemond, welcome back to Voices in My Head.
1: It's great to be back. Thank you.
0: Well, the memoir was really a, a wonderful read. I really had a hard time putting it down. I think I read it all in about two settings, and uh, it, it was oh, it's wonderful well and and really, one thing i I liked about it a lot I've read a few memoirs and including uh you know Stanley Harawats, who you are known to do more than a few books with over the years. He yep. had a wonderful memoir, and there's been a lot of great ones from preachers over the years. but one thing that I like about yours. To me, it almost read like a sermon itself, even in the way that you were telling your story. Uh, it really has such a, a, a an easy to follow narrative to it and the way that you include stories along the way. And uh, so I really think that people are going to be um, pleasantly pleased, uh, maybe even surprised a little bit with how this memoir reads, but it's very good. Um, oh, I'm glad to hear you say that. I, I really, I tried to structure it
1: like a, a, a kind of a series of sermons. I've got a, each chapter as as you see a scriptural text that I began with, and so I'm I'm glad to hear you
0: say that it reads like a sermon. Mm. Yeah, very much so. Very good sermon, I might add. <laughs> um, well, let's, well, thank you. Let's talk a little bit today, if we could, as we start. One consistent theme throughout your entire memoir is vocation. And you note that too often, and you say this in the book, so I'm gonna quote you now, you say that vocation degenerates into volunteering. Rather than risky encounter with a summoning God, worship morphs into sappy songs, syrupy cliches on the screen, followed by the sharing of tiring details about our personal lives at coffee hour. Christian preaching slides <laughs> in to come right over here and sit next to me. I'm dying to tell you about myself. And theology becomes commentary on human experience of God rather than God. So as we begin today, and that that's a really interesting way of putting it, what would you say your definition, uh, sort of your working definition of vocation was as you were entering into this book? Well,
1: I think vocation... You know, it's from the Latin simply meaning uh, vocare, meaning to call, that uh, Christians believe we have been externally determined, summoned, uh, called forth. And uh, I note that, you know, the Bible begins in Genesis with God uh, doing vocation, saying through the Tohu Wabohu uh, light and then plants and animals, people. And uh, it's, it's just of the nature of this God to address, to call forth, to summon. And I, I think that's just one of the kind of core uh, peculiarities of Christian faith. And I note that it's particularly distinctive in our culture, because in our culture, the sort of predominant cultural narrative is, your life is your life, and uh, it's up to you to make it turn out right. and You can do anything you set your mind to, and and you can choose yourself into life. Uh, well, that's really not Christian. <laughs> Christian is that God God chooses you uh, in, into life, and that uh, it's vocation all the way down. And I think. Um, Contemporary Christians make a mistake, whether it's in sermons or in the songs we sing, to sort of make Christian faith into something we decide to do or we astutely choose, rather than this is something God has done to us. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh,
0: yeah. Yeah, and and even even in our baptism, you know, it's uh, you've noted several times in several of your books, and you do it again in this book talking about, you know, we we dunk the people, but God does the rest, you know, <laughs> throughout, and, uh, and there yeah. there really yeah. is something that God is calling each of us to, and you you in your book, of course, of talking about your own life, so your particular vocation being a preacher, among other things. Um, but all of us, I, I love the way that you point out in the book that all of us really are called to some vocation uh, by God in our lives, and it's it's something that really chooses us. You know, most of us probably wouldn't have chosen this calling if it was just up to us. Who knows where we would have ended up? But I love the way that you weave your narrative along with that. And I want to talk a little bit about your ordination because when I actually was reading this book. Um, I was away for the weekend uh, for the Church of the Nazarene that I belong to. Our district was having their ordination service on one of the evenings when I was there. So it, mm, hit, it uh-huh. hit at a perfect time. And you talk in your book about your ordination in 1973 at Broad Street Church in Clinton. And uh, you, say uh-huh. that, you say that when Bishop Tallis laid hands on my head, The Holy Spirit alighted upon me neither in the singing of the choir nor in the presence of adoring family and friends, but rather when the bishop intoned the ancient words of the ordinal, never forget the ones whom you serve are the beloved sheep of the fold for whom he died. And that just really rang home to me as I was listening to it because I've heard you remark many times, that uh, you know, if you were the one doing the calling, you probably wouldn't have called a lot of the people that Jesus calls. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, and I and I agree with game a
1: kind of distinctive. Uh, uh, you, I say the memoir. You know, you can you can choose your friends. You you cannot choose who you're going to do church with. Exactly. That's that's kind of up to God, and that that becomes one of the uh, blessings, but also at times one of the great challenges of being a Christian is you are, the church is determined by whom God calls.
0: Mm. Yeah, and it really is, uh, it's humbling sometimes when we think about the people who God calls and that we are um, allowed and even called to participate in ministry with. And uh, what what a what a big and broad God we have, who would be so imaginative? <laughs> I think at times maybe that would be a good uh, word for absolutely. us Absolutely,
1: yeah. Uh, well, or uh, 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 what a what a what a what a wonderfully reckless God we have that oh. calls, uh, you know, people like us uh, to be His. And I know that you know the the story of Jesus begins really not with Jesus doing anything except vocation when he calls this group of 12 knuckleheads together and says, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take over the world and uh, get it back for God. And uh, and, and guess who's going to do that for me? And that is a, that is a distinctive way to be God.
0: Hmm. Uh, along those lines, as we're, as we're talking about ordination and, and really what a serious thing that is, you also note in the book, uh, and, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the meaning behind this and what it means to you, but you say as a bishop who sev- who severed a number of clergy from their ordination, I believe that if life really begins with being called, betrayal of vocation is deadly. And, uh, and I, I'd love for you maybe just to talk a little bit about that because you all, I'll I'll finish um, sort of a part of that passage that you go on to say that dozens of United Methodist Church died on my Episcopal watch and hundreds more barely had a pulse. There is little theological justification for a shrinking congregation. Dwindling congregations are an affront to the God of the living and not the dead. And I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the idea that um, that a loss or even a betrayal of vocation is deadly and, and what that can especially mean for a minister.
1: Well, I, I think, you know, vocation is, uh, for any of us, means uh, it, it's what God wants you to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this is your life as God intends it. And uh, so to to go against that, to resist that, and, of course, with preachers, there is, you know, quite a, a lore of people uh, resisting the call and running away from the call. And we, we, of course, get that kind of thing in Scripture with Jeremiah and others who resist the call. Uh, and uh, that, that to, to walk away from that, to allow yourself to be called by other gods, uh, so to speak, um, is a, a kind of life and death matter, and mm. uh, I admit that when I speak of preachers betraying their call, I admit in my memoir, you know, I, I love being having been called to be a Methodist preacher, and uh, I therefore think when someone uh, falls away from that vocation, uh, that that's bad, and allows other alluring gods to call one, such as the god of materialism, or the god of power, or the god of sex, or all the other ways that preachers often betray their vocation. I I do think it's a it's a live question, though, that, you know, are we called to be preachers forever and ever? And I think I'm, I'm, I believe damage was done, that vocation is, you know, God's call, but but God calls us along life's way, may call us to a variety of uh, uh, vocations. And Hmm. uh, so, in fact, I as a bishop got to see a lot of clergy that would, uh, it would have been a blessing to them and to the church if they'd had the courage to leave Hmm. uh, and and go take up some other line of work Hmm. other than, inflict some poor congregation with their own unhappiness. And and so I think that that notion, uh, that medieval notion, priest forever hmm. after the order of Melchizedek, I, I don't think that's a Protestant notion necessarily. And uh, therefore, one can be called to different vocations. However, I guess when I think of betrayal of vocation, I mean not simply, you know, stopping being a pastor. Mm -hmm. But I think of, um, you know, preaching something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, allowing Mm -hmm. other philosophies or good news, other good news to take the place of his good news. I think of uh, being deceitful in your Mm -hmm. personal life, uh, being deceitful in conversations uh, with parishioners, uh, that that is the betrayal that I I find to be uh, deadly. Mm -hmm. And you, you wake up one day and you're just going through the motions and you're just coming up with an interesting uh, address on a weekly basis. And so uh, to me, that is uh, that's sad because it is, it's kind of a rebuke to God. It's kind of saying to God, uh, Hey, I don't, I don't care what you want, I'm going to do what I want, or,
0: uh, Lord, you didn't know what you were doing when you called me. Hmm. And, uh, so. Wow. Well, you know, kind of along along those lines, um, I, I've noted recently, and, and one reason I wanted to talk to you a bit today, um, partially I wanted to talk about what's right with the church, one of my favorite books that you've ever written, but also just the idea oh, that, that, that I think that um, we're in a time where um, – I, I, I don't know quite what to make of it exactly. I don't know that I would call it a necessarily a betrayal of vocation, but I'd love your thought on this. I had read somewhere recently that something like 14% of Christians uh, left their churches after the 2016 election. Um, and it was what? an interesting, yeah, that's it's kind of a staggering statistic, and that's probably evangelical churches. And, and most of them due to the fact that they felt their church was aligning too much with right-wing politics, and sometimes even left-wing politics mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it kind of leads me to a question, and, and it's got me thinking as I've been reading again in your memoir, reading things like what's right with the church. Because in my mind, I've often thought, you know, the church, hopefully at its best, will be the body of Christ in the midst of the world and will be the voice to the government th- that says, thus say the Lord. But we're kind of in a time where it seems like many of our congregations and many of our pastors and prophets have decided, I'd, I'd rather play golf with Pharaoh than say, let my people go. And um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's sort of it's sort of a, a time that we live in. I, I wonder if you could address the idea. Do you think people can faithfully leave their congregation because they're trying to follow Jesus. And it's it's one of these questions that I've had come up with a lot of people because they felt like, I just can't worship there anymore. I just can't be a part. And yeah. many people are in a mode of, of what they're calling deconstructing. You know, they're getting almost like abandoning uh-huh. different things about their faith. And I, I wonder if you could maybe talk a little bit to that and sort of your oh. view on that.
1: You know... I mean, in one sense, I think uh, leaving a congregation uh, for reasons when one disagrees, when one feels that one congregation, one's congregation has diverged, I mean, it, it's a serious thing,
0: mm-hmm. and, and
1: partly serious because, as I said, you know, the, the church itself is a huge challenge that Jesus Christ puts before us, mm-hmm. and Jesus Christ says, don't. You know, just, you know, it's not enough just to worship me. It's not enough just to witness and follow me. You, you got to do it with these other people. And mm. Jesus throws us into a group uh, like he did his first disciples. And um, uh, so one must only do that carefully and for serious reasons. Uh, however, uh, over the years, you know, I've seen people who have said things like, I didn't leave my church. My church left me, hmm. or my my church sort of left me high and dry. Uh, I uh, So I can understand that, too. I can also understand, I know uh, seminarians have asked, uh, you know, don't you think it's terrible when people stop giving to their church in protest because the preacher said something, or the church is doing something of which they disapprove? And I said, yeah, that's a bad thing. You shouldn't Do that. Uh, On the other hand, uh, I I have seen people who have tried everything they know to get their pastor's attention, to register their disagreement, and basically they are ignored. Hmm. And so they think, gee, I'm being ignored. I am, and I'm, so I'm really being excluded. And so the exclusion, uh, you know, started with, uh, the church. Um, you know, and I do think, you know, one of the tough things about being the church is that Jesus Christ, he didn't die for the church. He, he mm-hmm. died for the world. Yeah. And that the, uh, Christ is Lord of the church. And there certainly have been times, uh, in Christian history and there gotta be times today uh, when, uh, Jesus Christ takes precedent and someone, says i just don't think i can be faithful to jesus christ
0: Mm.
1: in this church and Mm. um i know as a pastor i've had people leave my church uh, and the reason they gave was me and Mm. they said we're just too tired of your uh liberal sermons or left-wing sermons or or we don't like your attitude about this or that and and um I always took it as a serious matter, and I would plead with them. I'd say, I said, "Look, I'm leaving here eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> this is your church. These people love you. You're a big part of the church. <clears throat> I'm a United Methodist,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we got United Methodists today talking about splitting, starting a new denomination, leaving because they disagree with uh, actions of our General Conference or something." And and I think that's a serious matter and a very sad matter. And even the people that I vehemently disagree with, uh, such as the people who were at the last general conference, generally, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I I don't want them to leave. And because uh, if they leave, our Christian witness will be damaged. Uh, Mm -hmm. I won't have anybody to argue with anymore. (laughs) I won't have anybody to convert. I won't have anybody busy trying to convert me to their point of view and 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 somehow I think Jesus is well served in that sort of argumentative, uh, debating uh, kind of church about what Mm -hmm. would the Lord have us do. So um, one more thing I'd say that I I don't see many people leaving churches because of political disagreements and all. Mm -hmm. Uh, Boy, I think in the present moment when I think of some of the what I consider to be really dumb things some evangelical leaders um, and not only Franklin Graham have said about our current political climate. Uh, uh, It's boy. uh, I really think I can understand why many evangelicals are really upset for their pastors. Hmm. uh, We're not taking a stronger stand against some of the uh, political immorality. Uh, On the other hand, um, the people I see kind of leaving church are not leaving in a huff or leaving on matter of principle. They're just leaving because we live in a narcissistic, individualistic, subjectivistic, uh, Mm. culture in which, uh, I am the basic unit of the world and I am God. And and what is personally right to me is the law. And, uh, Church is a rebuke to all of that and a challenge. So I would think that our greatest challenge is that we live in this atomized, individualistic society. And so I would say to someone when they say, you know, I think I can be just a good Christian away from that church is in it, uh, to say, can you? Uh, mm. You know, I don't necessarily approve of the church, but it is Jesus' chosen method <laughs> of right. gathering and sending yeah. And equipping, and uh, so, in my memoir, I I I do try to do the best I can to both be honest,
0: yeah,
1: about the challenges of life uh, in the church, but also uh, to to give some great episodes when when my faith has definitely been strengthened and broadened and
0: deepened and challenged
1: uh, sure. by the church.
0: Well, and and I appreciate that about the book, too, because um, I I think just as many times as as in the memoir as you talk about people you've engaged with and uh, maybe disagreements about things, it seems like there have been times when you, too, have been challenged and, and, you know, have, as you say, you know, people trying to convert you. There have been times that that you've needed that. We've all needed that. You know, we've needed those moments of of ourselves being converted. Yeah. And and one thing that I – Yes, and one thing that I've appreciated so much over the years um, in reading your books is, is you know, you're kind of a, an equal opportunity offender when it comes to the right and the left, you know, <laughs> those type of things, um, because yeah, you do, you I, do uh, challenge us to be, um, okay. be disciples. Someone said
1: after a, sermon, after a sermon a while back said, uh,
0: would you have said
1: the same thing about Hillary, about Bill? And I said, oh yeah, yeah, I said the same thing. I I, uh, I, uh, uh, and in the book, uh, I talk about someone being offended after a sermon, after a remark I made about Bill and Hillary, or mm-hmm. maybe it was a remark about George and Laura. I. I just can't remember. I, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and I, I, I do, yeah. Yeah. So,
0: but, um, but, you know, at, at the same time, I, I, I appreciate that because there is a sense in which, and I think we even see this in the pages of scripture too, with it seems like at times one book is almost arguing with another book in scripture, you know, about certain things. And there is a sense in which, you know, that's, that's kind of what family does. We don't always tend to agree about everything, but hopefully we love each other. And that's, that's why I, I personally find it so uh, disheartening at times that people seem to be, um, leaving so often and again i think often it is driven uh, maybe by as you said sort of our narcissistic society that says well if you're not going to do what i want then i'm leaving and um, and it's it's yeah. a hard it's a hard thing sometimes and and I, wh- while we're talking about you know some of the names that you mentioned uh, one thing I did want to talk about because <laughs> i find it humorous and i don't know how to how else to describe it other than it's sort of like name dropping in reverse that you do sort of in the, in the book I don't I don't know <laughs> quite how to call it because you have an interesting way of dropping names of, of famous or semi-famous uh, people whether it be in media or politics and I'm, I'm just going to share a couple of these because I think they're kind of funny uh, in the way that you put them okay. uh, w- one of them is you're talking about uh, former attorney General Jeff Sessions. and you talk about um, taking him to court in the anti-immigration battle and he called you yeah. a disgrace to Al alabama methodism so it's again sort of sort of a reverse name dropping you know type thing and then there was a there was Rex Tillerson who says about you, he says you're, he was one of your favorite writers. And uh, which you say thrilled you, but then Rex spoiled it by boasting, I've read everything he's ever written. And you say, <n- laughs> yeah. n- n- no way, <laughs> no way, that, Rex, that had to be a, yeah. <laughs> no way he would have had the time to climb to the top of Ex- uh, Exxon if he did that much reading. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and and then one other one I just want to point out, because it kind of speaks to the, the humor and the way that you approach it. Uh, the time when you were invited to, to speak at Robert Shuler's uh, Crystal Cathedral, uh, and, and it was—I believe—it was called the Successful Church Conference, um, where you chose to speak on, of course, failing at ministry with Moses, Peter, and just about everybody in the Bible, uh, which is which is so—it's—it's it's so like you. It's you know uh, to to address it in that way. But I, I've um, always I've always appreciated, and and the reason I kind of mention those things is is the way that you've challenged us to be a church um, that is embodying being countercultural, you know, as part of the gospel. So it would be one thing for a person to, to name drop and go, you know, I, this person knows me or that person knows me, but you're kind of approaching it with with the thing of, oh no. Uh, it's kind of, Jesus is kind of causing me trouble with these people. You know, it should uh, be, you know, yeah. in, in this way. and, and um, anyway, and hope, it
1: was, uh, I think, I think I'm, you know, my, I, I'm, I'm doing when I'm talking about my critics or, or people that I'm antagonistic toward, um, because of what they've done or not done. I I think it's a, a gentler, kinder way to to kind of laugh about that sure. than to, um, to uh, uh, than to you know fiercely denounce them or criticize them. It, it's also, it's Carl Bart taught us uh, when he pondered about what he should preach about during the rise of the Nazis. Uh, you know, Bart said it's, it's a dilemma because you you want to criticize prophetically and all in the name of Jesus but at the same time you don't want to give them undue glory Mm. and uh, I think in the present moment uh, I have often been incensed or felt that I should speak out more about our president's deceits and some of his immoralities but yet on the other hand I think gee I'm a preacher I'm supposed to be talking about Jesus and I don't want to give the present moment I don't want to give the present people in power any more glory than they deserve (laughs) and Mm. uh, so uh, preachers struggle with it but I do think uh, uh, one of my readers said you know your account of of, of being at the Crystal Cathedral and all sounds almost unkind and I said well you know I think there's in all humor Mm-hmm. There is aggression. Aristotle told us that, uh, it, but it it it's soft aggression. It's not mm-hmm. condemning somebody. It's just saying I find this person funny or uh, shouldn't be taken too seriously in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And um, I also believe that, as you said, that it's Jesus Christ uh, was a troublemaker and he was caused problems everywhere he turned and. I said in a sermon one time, Jesus Christ brought out the worst in us Mm. Uh, when he came and says, I love you, and uh, I am the Messiah you've been waiting for, and we said, let's (laughs) kill him. When you got that kind of faith, uh, it's going to be bumpy, and there will be abrasiveness, and uh, for everybody who gets upset when their preacher takes some political stand, um, it's you wonder how many people just don't show up because they are so bored, or because they they think the church is in complete denial, and mm-hmm. uh, the church is where you go into Never Never Land and uh, float above the grubby realities uh, in which we live.
0: So, mm-hmm.
1: uh, well.
0: Well, that that's very well said, and and um, and and I do appreciate the way that I I do think you approach it with humor. Actually, the the whole episode in the book that, where you're talking about being at, at Robert Schuller's house for dinner, and I mean, I was just he hawing at parts. It was just really funny, and you you almost have a. Um, a disarming way, and in, in the way that hu- humorists like Mark Twain, I think, I, and I, I, I'm a big fan of Mark Twain and his humor writing, oh, and uh, I, I feel like too. you're, you're kind of on the same wavelength. That many times, just in the way that you're right. um, talking about some of these people, and and I hope yeah. you'll take that as a high compliment because I really well, that, appreciate. That,
1: that, that's <laughs> probably uh, very high and undeserved. Well, but <laughs> you know, Mark Twain, uh, Mark Twain had a very dark uh, depressed view mm. of the world and himself. Uh, he had a child to die and he, mm. uh, he, and I, and I, I, I may be some, the same one of the editors said, uh, was surprised that here I start talking about death, mm-hmm. uh, toward the end of the book. And I talk about, you know, I'm a preacher. I've helped hundreds of people <laughs> to the grave. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, done a lot of undertaking in my ministry. Um, but but i so I, I think uh i do feel that uh uh it, i guess i like that when i'm hoping god has a sense of humor in dealing mm. with my uh, sins and uh infidelities and and i think uh, uh most of the time we're, we're not so much villains we're just sort of ridiculous and comic mm-hmm. yeah. and uh that seems to me a more gracious way of assessing uh humanity and yourself than sure. than to see ourselves as just unredeemable villains
0: well and, and and that is good and i and i think the way that you present with humor it is humor can be very disarming at times and it can maybe help us to have some of these conversations and um, and i i wanted to uh before we go too off, uh, too far off into another trail, and, and if you were able to, in just a moment, I was going to have you read a section of the book that I had asked, if, if you're able to okay. do that. Um, yeah. But before we do that, I did want to refer one time real quick in our conversation. Um, in, in 1985, uh, you wrote a book, which I've already referenced, called What's Right with the Church. And uh, I wanted to, to make mention of that, because that book did so much for me. I I was given it actually as an assignment when I was a student at and Nazarene University in Nashville. And um, my church history professor, um, Steve Hoskins, uh, he had us read that book. And it did so much for me to help me really in many ways fall in love with the church. And uh, I mean not not to say that I agree with everything. But it's in the – it's in the title what's right with the church because it's so easy to point out what's wrong all the time it's so easy to just you know sort of be negative in that way but i love the way that that you have reminded us and have reminded me again and again that for all her faults, she is the bride of christ and uh, and and i do love her and there, there is a wonderful, wonderful part in your book, and it almost brought tears to my eyes as I read it. And I even read it to a friend this weekend as we were out um, doing some work in a, in a tornado-damaged neighborhood. We just had some time in the car, and I pulled out my phone because I had your book on it. And, and I thought, if possible, I'd love to have you read this passage um, that can, I think, help us Help us to love the church, you know, again, in some ways, because there are some good stories and some really good things to hear. But I wonder if you could share that section from the book uh, where you were invited to speak at a pastoral uh, at a church in a rural congregation, and were asked to baptize a kid who was there. Uh, great. Because I, I hope the story shows the
1: ways that I have been directed instructed and uh, instructed. By the church, and uh, I, I think uh, you know it's a it's a countercultural thing in these days to say a good word for the church. But here's my account of of a baptism that I got uh, uh, lassoed into, and I'll be glad to hear it now. Yeah. <laughs> Thank um, you. A historic responsibility of bishops is guarding the faith by teaching. I finagled dozens of opportunities to conduct workshops and lectures and my conference. And yet, often as a bishop, the teacher became the taught. When you visit us to preach, said a rural pastor, would you baptize a kid in our congregation? Oh, I'd love to. I've been instructing him in the faith for the past few months, and it'll mean so much to have the bishop baptize him. By the way, he wants to be baptized by immersion. Click. What? I believe in baptism by total immersion, but like many of my beliefs, I've, I've never actually done it. That's in I arrived at the church, a weathered clapboard building in the middle of an Alabama cornfield. Sure enough, the pastor stood on the steps, it was a small boy of 11 or 12. Uh, Jason, it's an honor to baptize you today, i greeted him. Hey, they tell me you've never done one of these. I'd feel better if we rehearsed. He said. Uh, oh, that, that was just what I was about to suggest, said I. We went into the Jason Fellowship Hall. A font borrowed from the Baptist was surrounded with potted plants. Jason and I walked through the ritual. I want to be dipped three times, he said. Oh, uh, that's wonderful. Uh, John Wesley was big on triple immersion, uh, though he couldn't get many mothers to let him triple dunk babies. I'd have nervous. <laughs> we had a quiet, quiet service. In a little church I preached on baptism And then behind the cross Everybody processed to the fellowship hall Singing Amazing Grace The congregation gathered around the pond. After a few sentences From the service of baptism I asked Jason Anything you'd like to say to the congregation? Yeah I want to thank you Especially if you put up with me In Sunday school when I was a kid I wouldn't have known Jesus if you hadn't told me Jason said When my mom and daddy got divorced I thought my life had ended But then I figured out You were the family God wanted for me I'm going to make you proud I'm going to show you How good you are At making a disciple You're going to see Hmm. Well I melted And you pulled yourself together Jason asked Uh, Y'all sing another verse of amazing grace I (laughs) played. Well they sang Jason took off his shoes I led him by the hand into the baptismal waters, and God did the
0: rest. Church, I love you. <laughs> now, I I just love that part, and there are several stories that you share in the book where it ends with, Church, I love you, and... um it's it's a good one for us to and and we need to remind ourselves of good stories like these i thank god for for kids like jason in the world that remind us of this and you know as as his calling as he's being baptized in the water that day i was so moved by that story i don't know if it just hit me at the right time or what but thank you for including that and for sharing that with us today
1: i really hope the The memoir, as I say in the memoir, the you know the only memorable thing that ever happened to me was I got called to be a, a pastor, preacher, uh, and I hope the memoir will be read as encouragement to Christians, uh, uh, particularly to people called to be uh, have the care of fellow Christians uh, as their pastors, and um, so I. I think you know winter time. I'm in the mainline Protestantism uh, mm-hmm. when I think we need an encouraging word, and and I hope that word will come through.
0: Sure. Well, I I think it really does. It came at a good time for me for sure. And and I I want to remind everybody who's listening that the book does come out on July 16th of this year, 2019. And uh, the book is called *Accidental Preacher*, and it is a, a memoir by my guest William Willimon today. Uh, and I can tell you, it's it's worth the read. And and I know that uh, people who read it, are, they're going to be glad they did, especially pastors. I think pastors need this kind of encouragement, uh, if if for no other reason, sometimes to. Um, you know my pastor always says nobody understands pastors but pastors <laughs> and it's a it's a good thing for fellow ministers to actually read and go oh i can so relate to that you know i'm glad he said that he didn't have anybody else to tell this story to you know Uh, Um, yeah. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. So I really appreciate it. And, um, is, is there anything else today that, that you would like to touch on before we go? There's so much in the book that we could pull out and I wanted to make sure everybody knew when the book was coming out and and they'll be able to find it on all the, the usual places they buy books at. Uh, but I wanted to give you a chance cause I always want to make sure that when a guest is on the show, we give them all the time, uh, to highlight the things that they're doing. And uh, I didn't want to leave anything else. So I just wanted to ask if there was anything else we should cover today.
1: Um, gosh, thank you for, for doing the podcast. Thanks for reading the book. Uh, I feel privileged that I got to tell my story as, as I best, I know how to tell it. And, um, uh, and I really see my memoir as an act of gratitude uh, to God for enlisting me in this kind of work and my surviving uh, to be able to tell the story. Um, but also I, I hope the readers of my memoir see that the main protagonist here is is not me, but it's, it's God that sends people uh, who are as, Uh, weak as I am sends me, people like me out on outrageous assignments in the name of God and uh, I hope it'll, it'll encourage them in their assignments so thank you
0: well, thank you. As As always, it has been a real pleasure and, and I hope we can have you on again one of these days. But uh, for now, it's just been so good to be able to spend some time with you. And and again, I because I don't always get a chance to do this, but when I have guests on the show, I just like to take a moment and I want to say thank you for... Uh, you've been a huge part of teaching me to love the church, the bride of Christ, and I'm grateful for that. Thank you. And uh, and and I'm because of you. In many ways, I'm I'm proud to say that I'm not only spiritual, but I am religious, and I and I am a part of the church. And I'm so grateful for that.
1: Well, so, wonderful. <laughs> thank
0: you. Well, Doctor William Willimon, thank you for being one of the voices in my head this week. Great to be there. Thank you for joining me here this week on Voices in My Head. I hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleejames.com, where you can find out more about me, get my music on vinyl and CD, follow my blog, and even schedule me for a concert or a speaking engagement. Better yet, even a book signing in your neighborhood. You can find all that and more at rickleejames.com. Also, it would mean a great deal to me if you could write a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast will be online. And now, for the benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God bless you, and thank you for listening to Voices in My Head.